1: Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by the poet, J.P. Howard. J.P. grew up in Sugar Hill, Harlem, the daughter of the groundbreaking African-American model of the 1950s Ruth King. Poetry has played an important role in her life since childhood, allowing her to become comfortable with her own voice. She holds a B.A. from Barnard College, a J.D. from Brooklyn Law School, and an M.F.A. in Creative Writing from the City College of New York. J.P. curates and nurtures Women Writers in Bloom Poetry Salon, a forum offering all writers, but especially women at all levels a monthly venue to come together in a positive and supportive space. The Salon has been featured in Poets and Writers Magazine and on CUNY TV's cable TV program, Study with the Best. She's the recipient of the Brooklyn Arts Council grant on behalf of Le Salon for 2014 through 2017. The Salon celebrates a diverse array of women poets and includes a large LGBTQ people of color membership. She is a Cave Canaan graduate fellow and is the author of Say Mirror, a debut poetry collection published by the Operating System as well as a chaplet Bury My Love poems here. Say Mirror was a 2016 Lambda Literary Award finalist in the Lesbian Poetry category. J.P. is a 2018 featured author in Lambda Literary's LGBTQ Writers in Schools Program, a Pushcart Prize nominee, and was a finalist for Split This Rock's 2017 Freedom Plow Award for Poetry and Activists. With Amber Atea, J.P. edited Black Lesbians' We Are the Revolution, which was Volume 7 of Sinister Wisdom. A Multicultural, Lesbian, Literary, and Art Journal. JP, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown.
2: How are you today? Hi, Michelle. I'm doing great today. I'm excited to be on your show.
1: Well, I'm glad to have you. I mean, you know, I know, I've known Julie Enzer, who does um, Sinister Wisdom, like before she got involved with Sinister Wisdom. And when I was talking to her, she was telling me about, you know, this issue, and the editors of it and how great it was. And so when I got the issue, I started looking at it, and I was like, wow, you know, this is somebody right. who I want to <laughs> talk to, in part that's because great. poetry is also one of the other hats that I wear and near and dear to my heart.
2: But That's, ter- one of the, that's terrific.
1: Uh-huh, but one of the things that really grabbed me, and I think I emailed you, you know, because um, I got your book. and. Yes. I, first of all, to grow up, I mean, to, to sort of, okay, I'll admit it. One of my fantasies <laughs> is if I could come back in time, it would have been <laughs> to come back like it, to live in Harlem. I mean, probably right. like before you did, like, but during the Harlem Renaissance because right. of the arts <laughs> and the poetry. So first of all, that grabbed me, you know, but yes. then, it was like a love story between you and your mother, but, a real love story, the ups, the downs, how you know even Absolutely. now I mean my mother died in two thousand one, there's times when you think about, you know, having that extra conversation with her. What made you take
2: that focus? Uh let's see, we'll maybe take that focus. Well, clearly, um, when you read the book you get the sense that I was very close to mm-hmm. my mom. Um clearly mm-hmm. The Harlem influence was a big part, you know, as well, growing up in Harlem and her being a model in Harlem was something that I heard about all the time, you know, growing up because she was a model before I was born. Um, and so that definitely impacted our, our relationship, you know, sort of looking at her as, as this grand diva, um, always being exposed to these fantastic um, photos, you know, many vintage photos. And there were photos of her around the apartment growing up, of her on covers of magazines like Sepia and Jet. And uh, so it was really sort of almost being mesmerized by her. But then, of course, mm. she's, also my mom. There's also my, she's also my mom, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. so there was that. Sometimes, you know, struggle, because we had both had very, very, you know, strong personalities. Um, my mom was a Leo. She passed away a little over two years ago. I'm also a Leo. So uh, we had these two strong personalities that also came about as I was, you know, growing up and growing into, you know, teenage years. Um, and really what happened, the inspiration for the book was that she gifted me while she was still alive, uh, tons of her photos, these Mm -hmm. vintage photos. And that really sort of inspired me to start writing some poems. And in various workshops over the years, um, some of my instructors, particularly Jewel Gomez, at a workshop that I took as a Lambda fellow, said this would be, you know, great for a book. You know, the idea of kind of merging the photos and using your poetry as a way to sort of tell the story. As you said, it is like a love story, but with the ups and the downs, you know, the various Mm -hmm. uh, complications of, of growing up with a single mom being an only child and the various struggles that she went through. I am pretty honest about that in the book. As so many people, you know, she dealt with depression and um, alcoholism for a while as well. So those are things that as an only child, you kind of reflect back on that. The photos allowed me to kind of enter, enter into our relationship.
1: But you know, I also found that you sort of told a side of the black story, you know, when you talked about how here your mother was groundbreaking by being this brown skin model when everybody else was light and had the stray hair. And but then at the same time when you came around how your mother like sort of looked you, that's part of the history that we go through. And that that's a part of a a black history that sometimes we don't talk about how, you know, how we felt. Um you know, how there was, even within the black community, that the things that had been used to, in some ways, like, hold us back. Like, if you weren't real light, you couldn't do it. And she had broke this balance, But still, it was something that we sort of fell back on. And I, after, I had, part of, after reading it, I was at a workshop talking with some women, and a young woman was talking about, in a different generation... Something similar to that. And like, and then, like, you know, how she wanted to, like, rail against her mother, not recognizing the struggles mm-hmm. that her mother had gone through in right. that position.
2: Right, right. Yes, and I was very aware, and my mom made me very aware of, you know, what she went through, and I was very proud of her. You know, it was groundbreaking, you know, for her to be the first model that was not many times before she came along. A lot of the African-American models were very light-skinned, very fair, almost to the point where they could pass for white, you know. Um, almost at mm-hmm. that very, very sort close distinction. And she was one of the first models, as you said, who could not, you know, and she was very proud of that. And it, I think, you know, opened the door for lots of other models, you know, over the years to kind of enter African-American models, to enter the modeling field. Um, and so that was something that I, you know, sort of learned about from her growing growing up. She was proud of, and I was very proud to, you know, to know that, that she had that role. But, yeah, it mm-hmm. is interesting how those issues, you know, sometimes uh, revisit, you know, <laughs> revisit mm-hmm. us over the years. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Uh, I, mean, I think that's one of the also things that, that I like about poetry and that you did it sort of like you were writing about you and your, but it transcended so many things. Cause like I said, I was sharing like some of it with people and there were, there are parts of people like, yeah, you know, we're still talking about that. So that right. someone <laughs> from a totally different existence can, mm-hmm. you know, total, can look at it and go like, yeah. And they, and get exactly what you're talking about. I will tell you, one of the, the, it tickled me when you talked about how your mother always went back about when you cut your hair. <laughs>
2: you <know>? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> she did. I, I was, she was not I happy. Tell
1: people, <laughs> the thing that first precipitated me living home was I cut my hair. And I was wow.
2: like,
1: I <laughs> can understand that. I know exactly, yes, I, right. you, know, yes.
2: you know, what that
1: was about, you know. And we still have conversations about hair because, you know, like, are you going to wear it natural?
2: Are you going to, you know, do you have a
1: weave? You know,
2: the weave against that,
1: you know. Right,
2: absolutely. Still still very relevant, still, you know, very much a timely uh, topic. Just two days ago, I did my Lambda literary. My book was, you know, selected to be uh, given out to the students and to have them read it. And discuss it and so i did a visit to 11th grade class and the group of young girls they actually chose the, my poem good hair the poem in my book called good hair from maya mm-hmm. and they actually okay. did an entire project based on that because they could mm-hmm. relate to it and they were saying how timely it was to them on um, this idea mm-hmm. like you said about whether you wear your hair natural whether you wear braids you know whether you're going to lock your hair and they said they felt that it was very very uh empowering for them because many of them had come to love their natural hair and so they could understand, like, folks having issues with hair, you know, especially in the black community. So it was really amazing mm-hmm. to see that. Something that I, you know, I thought about and experienced some years ago, they're still dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I know. I, I and mean, it's just like, it's just like so amazing. But um, then you found poetry. And I know how you said that initially you found poetry the first time I was, like, going to church and you had a poem that you would recite. But then yes. th- that became your voice. And you also yes. talk about going to the library and reading these books. Another, another thing that, you know, I mean, it's yes. like, I know that your mother and my mother are up there comparing notes. You know? That's, <laughs> That's right. I love it. I <laughs> Because love it. I was the kid also who snuck to the library. But you went to the library and found people who yes. you
2: identified with. Absolutely. Absolutely. At a very young age. I, uh, mm-hmm. Hamilton Grange, it's called Hamilton Grange Library. It's still there. It's in Harlem on 145th mm-hmm. Street, between Broadway and Amsterdam. The poem that I recited when I was young, maybe like fifth grade, was um, For My People by Margaret Walker. And mm-hmm. um, we, used, we went to Abyssinia Baptist Church. If you know anything about Harlem, you know that's a fairly famous church. Um, Adam Clayton Powell Jr. had led that for you know many mm-hmm. years. And so that poem I would recite to the, to the church ladies, you know, um, each <laughs> Sunday. My mom would clap and the church ladies would clap. And looking back at it, it's still a really powerful poem, very much political. But um, to think that I was so young and I memorized it, I basically had to memorize, you know, recite it, definitely gave me that voice, you know, because I was so, so shy. Um, and then finding the black poetry section in the library is really, I almost say it was, like, life-saving, you know, because I read these poems by Nikki Giovanni and Langston Hughes, um, Amiri Baraka, Lucille Clifton, Gwendolyn Brooks. And I remember, like, whispering, you know, very quietly so I didn't make noise in the library, but reading those words, whispering it, and just being so um, moved by it. And it was mm-hmm. almost like magic, The people could have this effect on you by just writing words. So that's definitely mm-hmm. when I fell in love, you know, with, with poetry.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, when you were talking about how you were with this, this group of, of young people, and as you stop and look, I remember having a great aunt who knew like traditional poetry, classical poetry, and she would recite it and encourage us to to, to learn the same kind of things, you know, if it wasn't like Elizabeth Barrett Browning, you know, you just weren't right. And then, right. like you said, how uh, we started to find our own voices, like two people like Nikki Giovanni. And there was like, not that, but then you have young people now. And I have, like here, we have like poetry, we have a lot of open mics and stuff. And you find like even there's like this, this really young group, or there's another group that's doing a different kind of poetry. And every now and then you'll find where it all like sort of blends in together. When you're there and you're talking to young people, how do you encourage them to find their voice and express through poetry
2: where they are at this point in time? Um, It was interesting. I mean, speaking to the group that I spoke to, like I said, it was 11th graders. And you can see a lot of them are already sort of finding their voice. Um, particularly as we discussed my own poems, how things resonated with them. And I just encouraged them to continue on that path. If there's something that, a topic that's important to them, um, I said it's important to, you know, write about it, to share it, because some of them were a little bit shy about sharing what they had written. A lot of them had kept journals in, in reference or in response to, you know, the poems they read in my book. And so some, one, actually one young student had uh, written something, but he had another uh, young male student read it because I guess he was shy, you know. So really, it was mm-hmm. the idea of encouraging them, because um, you have something powerful to say. I mean, I let them know that you have something powerful to say. In fact, they did ask me a question about how do I feel about where we are in society, and I said, really, I feel like you, youth, are our hope. You know, with, with you, mm-hmm. I feel like there's mm-hmm. so much hope. So I was just really trying to pass that message on to them that um, there's so much possibility, that so much power that they hold. They may not realize it right now, but just trying to really encourage them to tap in on whatever it is. And I also let them know that you can write about any topic. But that was one of the issues I, I dealt with when I was writing this book, writing about things that are taboo, you know, um, mm-hmm. whether it be depression or whether it be a family member's attempted suicide or whether it be alcoholism in a family member. Those things are okay to write about. But there was a point where I was scared to write about it. Like, was my family going to think? But also it can be healing for everyone when you kind of put it out there, you know, you don't give it that kind of power over you. So I really just mm-hmm. try to encourage them to let them know they can write about whatever topic they want to. And that it, does that it can be very cathartic, or it can be healing, or it can be very empowering.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a, a conversation with Eric Darnell Pritchard, and he and I were talking about literacy. And I know that often our literacy, you know, like it can be like a, a curse and a blessing, like how but often they have said about particularly black people, communities of color, or a lower class people that, We were not literate because we didn't read and write in a certain way. So then maybe we couldn't vote, we couldn't get a job, we couldn't do that, but we have always been literate and expressing ourselves, and Eric had talked about how even if you went back to slavery, how women made quilts, and the quilt was a language to tell people how to go, and I know that. I've been in schools and you know, and try to do writing workshops. And the te- sometimes the teachers are like, surprisingly, how did you get them to write? And I said, well, I just told them to write. You know, I didn't worry right, about you right. know. Is, is it a paragraph? Is this it? Is that that? Right. As you go into these spaces, do you always do you find that like sort of that contradiction that here you are ex- telling them to you know tell your story, explain, but then they're in classrooms that might be saying. No, that's not quite right
2: hm um so far, I think I really haven't experienced that in my recent visits. These are you know fairly recent the visits to the you know high schools um, mm-hmm. and I think probably because you know the the school or the class was already assigned the book, and so they're, they know that they're going to have this author who is very much, you know, out there, right? You know, a person who's, Uh you know, black and queer and who's going to sort of embrace and celebrate all those things. So um, Uh I think because of, you know, they realize you're coming into the classroom, they were trying to be, you know, supportive. Um, So I haven't really experienced that. You know, if anything, I think it was, uh, they were open to encouraging the students to to write their stories, to tell their stories. And uh, like I said, in this particular class, they actually did projects based on, you know, based on what they had read and they did their own sort of, you know, personal responses. Um, which was fantastic. It didn't have to be any specific form. Like I said, some of them used journal form. They used a visual form. A lot of them took selfies, which is very cool, you know, with showing mm-hmm. their hair. Mm-hmm. And then and then writing questions about, you know, what does it mean to have natural hair? Um, or what does it mean to um, perhaps have natural hair in the queer community? You know, just all sorts of questions that they thought of, which I thought was fantastic. You know, and those are all things you can write about, right? In any question that they gave me was something that could lead to them to answer it and to do a written response maybe it'll be a poem, maybe not. That's okay. But the point is, it was still it was going to get them writing because they were thinking about it, and they were verbalizing Mm it. Um, And so in that sense, it was very, you know, um, enlightening. And I felt hopeful about them about the youth Mm -hmm. visiting them.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I think too the fact that as you walk into it, you are coming in unapologetically gay, okay, you are black, (laughs) you're gay, you're also you know you don't you don't leave any of your cards back home you know you bring your your womanness your black your gay and you're bringing right. all of this in yes. but in reading the book like I can give your book to anybody and yes. they get it and to do it and how do you how do you help them recognize that it is okay to bring all your pieces into right. this work and that just like how yours was from your relationship with your mother, maybe way far back and here you're talking to them and they got the part about the hair, you know, that by bringing all those in that, you know, you put it out there and if there's someone who's going to connect with and relate to. Uh,
2: Yes. I I also want to go back a little bit to the statement you said, because kind of whenever I enter a space, I almost always quote Pat Parker. um, and The line that she she said that I really try to um, model my life after is, the day all the different parts of me can come along, we would have what I would call a revolution. Um, and that really, really inspired me. I mean, I discovered those words maybe when I was about, I don't know, uh, 18 or so. And soon after, you know, I came out after having written, read her poetry and Audre Lorde and Cheryl Clark. Um, mm. So I think it's letting the students, you know, know about that, that whatever parts of you, whatever you're dealing with in your life, you know, whether it be a, you're a child of divorce, you know, or whether your parent is struggling with some issues or whether you're struggling with some issues, just to let them know that it's okay to bring all those things into onto the page or into when you're verbalizing, you know, what's, what's happening in your life, certainly if you're going to write it on the page. Um, and just, you know, just kind of trying to build up their confidence to let them know that they can bring all those different parts. If anything, I really encourage it, that for everyone, because then you feel like more like a whole person, right, not having to hide these things. Because um, I think a lot of times the people do get uh, – affected by having these secrets right and i think i talk about that a little bit in my book there's some poems you mm-hmm. know family secret you know those are those secrets mm-hmm. particularly particularly in the black community i think um i know for me that was an issue when i would bring up certain topics and my grandmother would say um do not uh, air your dirty laundry you know <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
2: yes that was like a big thing you know no no you know well this is something yes this might have happened um, and this is when I talked about my mom's attempted suicide and I remember it was a secret I wasn't allowed to talk about it when I finally asked my grandmother because my mother um, was able to deal with her depression and you know it was very functional at, at some point so that years later when I mentioned it she was like your mother's all right mama's all right how dare you mention that never discuss it again and I was basically silenced because it was a secret that I wasn't supposed to discuss you know And I really didn't discuss it that much until I started writing my book mm-hmm. So you know that but that those secrets can really hold us down right can have such a negative impact so just kind of letting the anyone I speak to know that the, the value of, of kind of letting go of those secrets right mm-hmm. trying not to trying to uh, not bury them unbury them
1: well you know and it's often that if we you know we want to go out and we want to say to the youth oh it gets better but you know mm-hmm. sometimes if you don't show having gone through the trials and tribulations right saying it's get better can be sort of hollow
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You almost have to tell them. You know. I mean, because that was a difficult for me. I, I'm very honest about it. It was a difficult time having to keep that a secret and being so aware of it. You know, and holding it in and wanting to be able to share it, but being scared of, you know, my family's reaction. So yeah, I mean, that's certainly not a great thing to go through. But of course, I can also tell them how much how great it felt later on in my life when I finally was able to kind of let that secret out, right, and not give it the power that I had given it for probably so many years holding it in.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think too, the fact that other stuff that you talk about is like, you know, that it it, it reaffirms that being a parent is no blueprint. It isn't always. And even though how wonderful it is, I mean, that was like really great. My mother never got to see, she got to see me read some of my poetry, but she never got to hold that book. But your mother got, you know, to come back, sometimes you can go through the ups and downs and come back to that full circle to where she could see that, you know, for the good, the bad. You know, Absolutely. airing the dirty linen and everything, and here it was.
2: That's right, but also saying I love you. You know, I love. I, you know, mm-hmm. I love how our relationship has grown, and I was so happy that she lived to see it. And I'll always remember when I first showed it to her. Um, you know, the cover of the book, which has her gorgeous picture on it, and okay. she, was mm-hmm. like, she was like, "Damn, I look good." Just like, "Damn, I look good." You know, she was uh, in our early 90s, I think, when, you know, she said this. So, But that just mm-hmm. shows you, you know, she was still this, you know, vibrant, you know, a Leo diva. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I really, it, go ahead. That, that, that is, that it was just, I mean, that just sort of, that made me smile, you know?
2: Yes, right. Mm-hmm. You
1: yes. know, yeah, that made me smile. And I think for everyone who, who wishes like they had had that one more moment to sort of of tell, you know, their mom or talk about it or share something. It was like vicariously, I yes. shared that <laughs> moment with you, you know, like what it would have been like had I been able to do that.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I hear you. No, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was definitely a good feeling. I was, you know, happy that she was able to, you know, to live, to, to see that, and to be able to, you know, talk about it a little bit. And she used to like me to, um, towards the last year of her life, she was in hospice and she would ask me to read from the book. That's what I spent many, a uh, evening doing. I would sit there and she would say, right, you know, read me some poems, you know, and I would, she would just sit there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd read the poems and she would smile or maybe tell me a childhood story or or tell me a story about you know, her and her modeling heydays. Um, and so uh, even though there was a sadness, you know, to that the last few months, there was also this joy in being able to have her, you know, enjoy the book and be able to sort of go down memory lane.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And on that, like I said, it's like passing down memories that if had you not done the book and had not had that point, there'd be memories about her life that you would have missed, yeah. you know. And so I think that that is, that is just also, I mean, so many good things about it. Now, because... Do you ever find, you you come in, you know, I'm J.P. Howard, I'm unapologetically gay, I'm black, but you're talking about, you know, like you talk to the young people they're their hope and about talking their feelings. Do you ever find, though, that there are people who, when you come, want to put you in that, bo- that box of being like, oh, well, these aren't all black, gay, you know, lesbian poems. This is like... Not what we were expecting. Do you ever mm. find
2: that? Um, that's a good question. Do I ever find that? Uh, I th- it might have come up, you know, maybe a few times. And I, I think it also goes to show that there's so much that makes who we are, right? Mm-hmm. So I can be black mm-hmm. and gay and I can be writing about my relationship with my mom, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely have had that discussion, how the book is not, you know, clearly not focused on a LGBT theme because it's really about, you know, the exploration mm-hmm. of the relationship with my mom. Um, But it just shows Mm -hmm. that how all of us are such varied people and how there's so many topics that can be relevant to all of us, whether or not, you know, whether we're we're gay or not, you know. So Mm -hmm. in that sense, it probably has come up a few times. Um, And I think if anything, it just goes to show that there's so much that makes up who we are, you know. And there's so many different topics that we as writers can choose to go down. And so maybe I'll have one book in the future that might be more, you know, sort of queer themed. Um, But I think it's also fine that my, you know, this book was not necessarily, you know, queer themed it's who make who it makes who I am. I discuss it but mm-hmm. there is some, you know, back and forth conversation in the book since it's multi genre. So it does come out, um, but it may not be the primary focus. But yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes that's come up. Um but usually it's more as a discussion, you know, as to say, this is all the parts of who I am and this is one of the parts mm-hmm. of who I who who I was, you know, this daughter mm-hmm. of a diva. <laughs> mhm.
1: Yeah, I that's what I like this
2: Your daughter right. of a diva. I love
1: that's, that's that. right. I
2: that's it. I really do <laughs> Well, we're
1: going to take our first break here on collections by Michelle Brown. Um, If you're just joining us, I am talking with JP Howard. She is a poet. And we're going to talk a little bit more about her book, um, and some of her writing, and some of the other things that she's done. We'll be right back. Back with um, J.P. Howard, one of the things that you do is that you are the curator and nurturer. I love that of the Women's Writers in Bloom Salon. For those who don't know what what a salon would be like, what what transpires at the Women's Writers in Bloom Salon?
2: Sure, On the, and the full name of it is the Women Writers in Bloom Poetry Salon. Um, oh, okay. so our, our, mm-hmm. our primary focus is poetry, even though we, a lot of folks are multi-genre. Um, and so what happens in a salon, uh, is that in my salon, we meet every month. Um, it's, it's New York based. Many of them are Brooklyn based, but in the summertime, um, they actually happen in Sugar Hill, Harlem on the block that I grew up in, in this beautiful garden, um, of, of a friend who, uh, allows us to use the garden of her uh, building. Um, and so what we do is we meet each month. There's a different featured uh, poet or author who comes each month. Sometimes they travel from out of state. Sometimes it may be a local poet or author. They give us a workshop, so we have a few hours to do writing. So everyone produces at least, uh, you know, a few new pieces of work. Then we have a featured author reading. So that featured poet or author reads for about 15, 20 minutes. They share their work. We have a Q&A, so we have a question and answer session. So everyone who's there gets a chance to, I always say, um, sort of pick the brains of this person, because we're learning, right? We're all learning together. So it's mm-hmm. good to be able to, to ask them questions, to ask them their process. I almost always ask them, how did you get published? You know, what was your story? So that everyone in the room can learn, because we have, we have writers um, who come of all different levels. We have some who've published five books, we have some who've published no books, but you know, have a manuscript they're working on. So it's important for everyone to kind of hear, everyone has a different story of how they got to be published. So that's a wonderful way of just learning about residencies and just kind of really literally picking their, you know, brilliant brains to learn from. And then we end with an open mic, which is multi-genre. So no matter what Mm -hmm. genre people are working on, they're invited to read at least one piece at the end of that salon. They're potlucks. So they're, um, people bring delicious food, they bring food, they bring wine, they bring, you know, things like that. And uh, it lasts for a pretty long time, I'd say at least Mm. between four, four and five hours on a Saturday or a Sunday. So it's very leisurely. It's very much. I always say it's a way of uh, self-care and self-love because we're really celebrating ourselves, giving ourselves four or five hours to just work on ourselves and work on something that we're all passionate about. You um, know, so that's really. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Is it intergenerational? Absolutely, it's intergenerational. Um, it's uh, very much um, LGBTQ uh, people of color um, in terms of that's who the audience. You know, the participants that we're serving. Um, and that's what I love about it. You know, we have some members who are, you know, in their 20s, and then we have some members, I think our oldest member is in her 80s. Um, so wow. it's definitely intergenerational. Um, they are large, because I am, I think, because I, you know, how I walk through the world is such an out, you know, lesbian, that we do have a, a decent amount of, uh, you know, LGBT uh, members as well, and allies, you know. So it's, it's a really beautiful, I would say it's like a beautiful melting pot, a rainbow of uh, writers who come out. And some are known to be poets, not all, you know, some are writing, working on memoirs, working on screenplays, whatever they're working on it, we come together and we just come together to write. And it really was inspired, actually, if I think about it, from my mom, from growing up in Harlem, Mm. learning about the Harlem Renaissance. And she taught me early on about the um, Harlem Renaissance, had these literary salons um, where they would travel, people like Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes would go to travel to different brownstones and have these, you know, beautiful salons where they would Come and write and bring you know food and drink, and um, so I remember like learning about that you know at a fairly you know young age when I started to really get into writing, and so that was really kind of one of the, the things that influenced me to even start it was to kind of build this community to see if there's a need for it. It's everyone's invited, even though it says women. It's probably about 95% women, but you know as long as people are open to being in a space that's primarily women, they are welcome to come. Mm-hmm. Do you, when you're there.
1: What has inspired you? What do you get out of it? You know, I know, but I mean. You know you're seeing all different types of people and you're hearing different words. Do you find that you are just as inspired by being in that
2: space, in that oh, community? Yes, ab- absolutely. I'm so inspired. Mm-hmm. I always said it's a little bit selfish, really, creating the salon, because every month, remember, I'm writing too. So I write with mm-hmm. them, you know, most of the time. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm curating, but it's sort of uh, – creates itself now that I've been doing it so long. We're going to have our seven-year um, anniversary on April 14th. We're having a party. So I've been doing this now for, you know, seven years. So I absolutely, I'm inspired by it. I'm inspired by the opportunity that I get to write, you know, from these wonderful writers every month. Um, and uh, I also am just inspired by what's happening within the community because what happens is that you'll have a, an emerging writer in the room who will almost take on a um, mentor, role with some of the you know writers who are not uh haven't written as much it's really not so much about age because you're going to be an emerging writer at at any age right so i won't even say it's about Mm -hmm. based on age it's more based on experience um and so that we see a lot of our writers in this group in our salon who are now starting mfa programs who are getting their Mm -hmm. work published for the first time in journals a few have uh, had their first books published so it's a wonderful if a few of them are getting accepted into residencies or getting the confidence to even apply which they didn't do before because you're hearing other people in the room say, listen, I tried this residency. It was wonderful. They'll, they'll, they will encourage other members to try it as well. So that's also kind of the thing that's really inspiring, to see that there's this whole entire community of writers who are really supporting and uplifting each other. And that was really kind of what I was going for. I was hoping that would happen. This kind of beautiful to just watch it unfold, really almost sort of naturally, you know, because you have so many people who are coming together month after month and building, really it's about building community, Collaborating with community, um, and definitely, yeah, I'm inspired by that.
1: When you did that first one seven years ago, how many people were there?
2: Probably literally a handful of people. That was pretty, maybe uh-huh. about four, about four or five people, and um, uh-huh. it was beautiful, you know. Um, and then now, you know, now many times, sometimes we'll have a you know wait list because it's, we'll be in a New York community space, so either an apartment or a space that. Um, is low cost that I've rented or that's donated. But, you know, New York spaces aren't that big. So you mm-hmm. know, sometimes we'll have to cut the wait list at, like, you know, 20 or, you know, 25. Um, and then when people cancel, we'll open up, you know, mm-hmm. except for my big anniversary salon, which is coming up in April during National Poetry Month. And that one I can house about 100 people. And usually that's mm-hmm. built capacity because everybody, everybody who's been waitlisted during the year gets a chance to come out, you know, to that one.
1: How do people find out about it, you know?
2: Is it just um, like through
1: universities or
2: what? Uh, no, we have a, uh, I have a Facebook page, Women Writers in mm-hmm. Bloom Poetry, Poetry Salon. Um, and there the events are posted um, each month so people can subscribe to get them. Also, if people go to that page, there's a link for them to subscribe to get email invites as well. So they actually, I have a subscription list that way as well. Or people can just uh, email Women Writers Bloom um, at Gmail. And that's a great way to just, if they want to be put on the list, and I'll just add them to the, the list and mail out those, you know, those notices every month. And then also word of mouth and people sharing it as well.
1: Who has been your most, for you, inspirational or stimulating featured artist?
2: Um, that's difficult to say who would be the <laughs> most. I could say, I could say, I could say some uh-huh. of them. Yeah, I mean, they've all been fantastic, but let's see if I have mm-hmm. um, some favorite, well, probably recent ones I'm thinking of. Uh, Cynthia Dewey Oka actually did a very recent one, and that was very inspirational. Um, just being able to – she was someone who came from Philadelphia, and she was talking about sort of the, a, a muse um, and maybe being able to challenge the idea of, you know, what – some of our muses are so that was really uh interesting and ins- inspirational and she was someone i had just met her maybe a week before at awp so it was also inspirational to be able to kind of hear her work which is very you know very powerful or some i would really gotten a chance to hear it because a lot of these authors sometimes i haven't necessarily always heard them myself you know maybe i've read their work mm-hmm. online so for me i'm also learning about their work you know for the for the first time sometimes um cheryl boyce taylor who's also a friend of mine um, has given some very, very, she's done one or two, uh, featured salons and just really powerful. Um, she had us. this is a couple of years ago. She had us write, um, what's called a Cinto. I don't know if you're familiar with that form, but basically mm-hmm. you're taking a line from other folks' poems and you're making it into this really one powerful poem where everything sort of meshes together. And that was just amazing mm-hmm. to hear what people were coming up with. I mean, that was very collaborative because we had to all go around and use different poems and different lines and then come together with, you know, one poem, each person. So I love, I love, I think workshops that really get us to collaborate together as well. You know, that's wonderful. Um, and we've had a few of that, a few workshops like that where each person is sort of collaborating together. Maybe sometimes in small small groups, and that's wonderful when that when that happens.
1: I think it's too great. Not only are you able to do that, but, but you're going around. I mean, you know, because often you know people will say, "Well, poetry," you know. Like, or oh, what right. are you going to do with that? <laughs> you know, what are you going to do with that? But, you know, you are, you know, here you're in classrooms, you're doing this salon, you're doing other things. How rewarding has that been? And I know that it didn't happen overnight to where where you have, I mean, it seems like you have a very full life in general, but then you have this poetry piece that you're able to, to live and do that. And I also know that you have a family. And yes. And... <laughs> How, I mean, how supportive of, of you are they? Or do they ever, if they notice that you haven't been writing, do they ever go like, hey, you know,
2: yes, not, you're um, not doing anything? Right. Yes, no, they've been incredibly supportive. Um, my wife, uh, Norma Jean, is really supportive. And I have uh, two sons. Um, and they're both actually, both of my sons are writers and actually poets, um, mm. even though they have other, other things going on in their life. I and mean, my youngest son, the 13-year-old, is really the one who's kind of collaborated with me over the years, probably since he was about six or seven. He's uh, written pretty consistently, and we've sort of uh, collaborated and done, you know, poetry together. Um, so that's also helped as well. But, yes, it's definitely a balancing act. You know, sometimes that's really the, the challenge for any of us who are, you know, have families and are working and are trying to, you know, curate other communities. Um, for me, it's just really trying to find enough uh, attention to, to give to my family, which is very important to me, and then also balance that with, with my own writing, too. So uh, I think I'm trying to become more conscious of ways to make sure that I get all my own writing, you know, done as well. Um, but it is it's definitely probably, that's probably my biggest struggle, just time management, I would say.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That must feel probably pretty good, like how in your book, there is the link that thread from your mother and you. And you were able to read some of the parts. She'd ask you to read it to it. And then to sit and write with your son. Yes. That must be, I mean, a a pretty special gift to
2: you. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. My son and I were both have been active. in. I don't know if you're familiar with Black Poets Speak Out, um, which was formed by a number of friends of mine, including Mahogany Brown and Amanda Johnston Mm -hmm. and a few other folks. They're all Cave Canem Fellows. And uh, basically Mm -hmm. using poetry um, as a way, uh, as a tool of activism um, Mm -hmm. in response to many of the murders of black youth um, and Mm -hmm. where people have not, as we know, many times not been held accountable, you know, so it's really using um, poetry as a way to respond politically. And so Mm -hmm. my son, um, is something that he's written about a lot as a young, you know, black boy, right, in America. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that we've done videos together as part of that the uh, black poets speak out and that was really empowering to be able to kind of create, do this video with him where he's reading his poem. I'm responding with my poem. My poem was written from the poem of the perspective of a mother. His poem is written mm-hmm. from the perspective of a child, you know, young black youth in America. Um, and that just really, uh, has been empowering. Sometimes it's a little sad, you know, to think that someone's so young cause he's been writing these poems since he was about seven. Like I said, you know, mm-hmm. political to be so young, but you know, that's the reality of the world we live in. And, um, our family is pretty open about discussing everything, you know, it's kind of this discussion that comes up because of the world we live in, you know, quite often. Right. But it, it has yeah, yeah. been wonderful to be able to collaborate, you know, to collaborate with them, even on difficult topics like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I often, and when I'm talking to young people, I often tell them that, you know, that the arts, particularly people who write through poetry throughout has been a form of resistance, a form of putting a voice to the injustices or to the spirit of change that needs to happen. And, you know, so the fact that you and your son did it, how how great is that, you know? Right. And to have other young people come not only see that he's able to put it in his words for
2: his time. Right. Absolutely. And, you know. Absolutely. I think that's true. And I think there is a long history of, you know, of poets um, being political and whenever I'm talking especially I'm thinking of the poets who influenced me which were you know black lesbian poets when I really as I you know got to be you know 17 18 years old and I'm thinking about like Cheryl Clark's, Pat Parker Audre Lord who were very much you know activists you know in their lives and through their poetry um, and so I I always say like I, to me those were like the original black poets speak out but I discovered right you know when I was uh, became of that age where I could really appreciate those kind of poems um, mm-hmm. and so I think that i'm I'm happy that black poets speak out exists, but I definitely think it's in a long line of you know poets of color who have used poetry as a tool of activism
1: and you know, and I think too, you know how you talk about um poets of color l g b t poets that voice it um it is like a really important voice, and it's sort of like it sort of seems that because you know as like I say we do stand often boldly in the crosshairs of our intersectionality, that we can be very passionate in putting words to the struggle. And those words then can inspire people who are not LGBTQ, but can inspire a community. But it's in part because of where we stand, that we're able to express it
2: with that Absolutely. passion. That's right. Absolutely. I think that is true, that intersectionality, you know, allow, allows us to do that, you know, if we choose to, you know, speak out. And it can be empowering, to, you know, to lots of folks, you know, no matter, uh, you know, how they might, you know, self-identify. Um, mm-hmm. And yesterday, I, actually, I did a reading uh, yesterday. I um, was one of the uh, teachers for my MFA program at City College. And they had this wonderful reading with some of the current students and then on myself and another alum. Uh, who were the features and afterwards some young folks came up to me and I don't even know how they identified but they said they were very inspired particularly by the political poems I read because I I did you know read a decent amount of political poems that had to do with you know being the parent of you know two black uh males right and what that means in society or being a queer person in society and they were just saying how that really inspired and one one of the uh, young women said that um, it reminded her of how she reacted when she had read June Jordan's, you know, poetry, which, you know, was the greatest compliment, you know, to hear something like mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was beautiful to just, you know, find out that people can, you know, the words that I'm saying can resonate with folks that were, you know, much, much younger, you know, than I am. And poetry, I think, can have that connection with, you know, like I said, it's like with my salon. It's intergenerational. Mm-hmm. So it's speaking to everybody of all ages, from to youth to, you know, to elders. Mm-hmm. And that's really the beauty of, of poetry, right, you know, that power that mm-hmm. it can have no matter no matter what age we are or no matter where we are on how we identify ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. And it is. I mean, like, there's such fierce poets and then who go on, and then you train these other things that they do. And then you find out, oh, you know, but it, they started that voice. And, I, you know, it makes me think of Andrea Jenkins, who yes. I met yes. Andrea Jenkins through her poetry, and it was just yes. like... Yes, same here, like, same here. You know, exactly, yes. I mean, absolutely. and I have read her poetry and other things because it was just like so inspiring and stuff, and from that, she took that voice and now here, you know, how yes. she expanded into this. That. That's mm-hmm. right, yeah.
2: amazing, so, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. A big role model for me, absolutely, you know, oh, very yeah. much inspired oh, yeah. by her and her work mm-hmm. and, you know, and all initially her writing as well, you know, absolutely
1: yeah. I mean, so I think that it's like so important and to see and to have that, you know, to have both parts. Um, I like how your son is doing it. Now, does he come to the salon or does he ever consider having something similar to that
2: to his peer group? Um, we've talked about that. You know, he did come to the salon for a long time. Um, he's 13 now. So sort of that, you know, that teenage, you know, age. So he doesn't always come around as much, and that's fine. It's part of growing up. Him finding himself mm-hmm. and you know choosing his own space. Um, he's also a fantastic photographer. So he's also sometimes a salon photographer. But um, we had mm-hmm. talked about that over the years. Perhaps you know um, having a youth space like that. I think that we'll probably at least um, try one or two salons where it's focused on youth, and that could be something mm-hmm. that he could take. A, he could take a leadership role in. I talked about it with a few other salon members who have children, because you know we do have other salon members who have children, um, and. So I think that's something that I'd like us to be able to do probably within maybe the next year. Mm Mhm. Mhm. When
1: they, I mean, have you ever had like a parent and their child there at the same time? And how does, you know, you want to sort of, and I know, but you've probably done that, you know, like when, as they're starting to develop their own voice, how do you like sort of say, well, gee, you know, if he did it this way, that would be cool. But then put your hand over your mouth or, or, or keep those right. words inside to let them do that. Yeah. How, do you,
2: how do you foster that? Um, I just really encourage them, you know, as with any youth, whether it's my own child or someone else's, just really encourage them to tell, like I said, tell their story. That's really all it's about, you know, just tell, tell your story and whatever words, you know, feel, feel right to you. Um, and I know, certainly for my own son, that's what I've done. You know, I might write it differently, but that's not, that's not the point. It's, it's him telling his story in his way mm-hmm. or him writing up his poetry in his own way, you know. And just, like, I had mm-hmm. to learn about, you know, how to write I'm letting him, you know, sort of take the lead there. And unless he's asking for my help, unless he's asking for my feedback after he's written it, that's a different story. But at least for those early drafts, you know, I really just want it to be his story, you know, his words. And that goes to, like I said, any, you know, any children that might come into the space. We do have law members uh, occasionally who have brought their children. I'm, it's very, you know, child-friendly because obviously many years I've taken my son there. So, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's important that people know if they want to. People ask me. I think they assume because when they see the photos, it's mainly adults, but absolutely, you know, a person can bring their child because they may not have child care. You know, so reasons like that sometimes they'll bring. may not be for the child to write, but just because, you know, they don't have child care and they, they want to be able to still write themselves. So that's, that's important to be able to, you know, make the space accessible in that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you ever think of, of
1: what are you going to say that day when he puts his book in your hand?
2: Oh, uh, um, I will be just probably in tears of joy uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> the, day, uh-huh. the day that he does that, you know, absolutely. Um, nothing, you know, would make me happier or prouder for, you know, either, either of my sons.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 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 So here, sir, but no pressure. Right? You know?
2: That's yeah. right. I know. That's right. No pressure. No pressure. Absolutely not. No pressure.
1: <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, that's great. So, like, okay, the way that I learned about you was through sinister wisdom. Yes. Okay. What was that experience? And I know to edit something is it's a different experience. Can you talk about that experience and how did you come with Amber to take on this, this project?
2: Sure. Um, the issue again, is Sinister Wisdom. It's, uh, it's issue 107, which is the first issue that came out, um, in this year in 2018 and it's mm-hmm. called black lesbians. We are the revolution and there's an exclamation point at the end of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and the, mm-hmm. the, the, which is important. Right. <laughs> and of course that came from that quote that I talked about earlier by Pat Parker. Right the days mm-hmm. that we can bring all the parts of ourselves you know, into the room, right, or onto the page in this example, then we would have what uh, we would call a revolution. So that was definitely inspired you know, by Pat Parker. And um, I will always appreciate that uh, Julie and, uh, and I had been at a uh, Hobart Festival of Women Writers, which is a women writer festival um, that is founded by the Clark sisters, Cheryl Clark and Brianna Clark, her, sis- her sister. It's, a, it's an amazing mm-hmm. festival that celebrates women writers. And Julie and I um, had you know been reading there we were both poets who were featured as authors uh, one particular year and I think I started my uh, intro by mentioning Pat Parker in that quote and uh, so I afterwards I think Julie and I started talking and she said oh it would be wonderful you to you know perhaps do a black lesbian issue of Wisdom. is that something you'd be interested in I said of course and I'd be like my dream uh, <laughs> job to, to you know and I, I first discovered gosh, in the 1980s. I would say probably in the mid-1980s when I was in college and we did a trip to the Lesbian History Archive. So this is something that, you know, resonated with me from years ago, discovering this journal. So that was like a dream come true. And sure enough, months later, she followed up with me um, and said, okay, yeah, let's choose a date. And the date was probably like, you know, two years away because, you know, they have to choose (laughs) it so far in advance. Mm -hmm. And she told me that my options, I could either do it myself, I could invite someone to co-edit with me, whatever I wanted. And so I thought of my friend, and fantastic poet Amber Atiyah. So that's how Amber came along. I asked her if she'd like to co-edit mm-hmm. it, and I thought that it would be a great you know, experience for both of us to do it together. Um, and so it was definitely a, a big commitment. It um, took a lot of time. I guess it was a few years, or at least two years, you know, in terms of getting the work and, and being able to do the call for submissions, you know, and then, of course, um, the next, I guess, year or less for us going over the work, and we got so many submissions, fantastic submissions, but, of course, we got more than we could actually accept. So that was definitely a challenge, you know, being able to come to agreement and many, many hours and long nights were spent going over it. Um, But we're both so proud of the final issue. So many people who submitted that, poets who, or writers who I had grown up reading, like Cheryl Clark, um, and then so many Mm -hmm. emerging writers I learned about, you know, from the work that we got. So it's also very intergenerational as well, I would say, which I'm very happy to, to see that, you know, and writers from across the country, different parts of the country, which is also wonderful. Um, Just really, really powerful work, you know, multi-genre, all different genres. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: uh, we were so pleased that so many people, you know, responded and there was such an interest. And it shows you how important it is to tell our stories, right? How, you know, once we put that call out there, there are people who like, yes, yes, you know, let me submit, let me tell my story, let me put my words out there. Um, And so it's just been really wonderful. And also there's some lovely art as well um, inside, as well as the back and front cover. Um, and so we're very proud of the, the art as well.
1: You know, I thought that, you know, how, especially if you're black, okay, you grew up knowing Nina Simone for women. And then to have that the one, four poets, yeah. I mean, that was so powerful to you know, me, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like I just loved that. Yeah. When that came across your, your, your desk to look at, what was your reaction to that?
2: The actual, what do you mean, the actual, um, the final version? Yes. The journal, oh, it was just amazing. I mean, uh, like a dream come true, really, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I would have to say about it. This is something that I, you know, sort of dreamed about uh, being able to have an opportunity to work on a journal like this that, you know, so really it celebrates, right? It celebrates so many diverse, um, you know, black lesbian, black queer uh, identified uh, writers. And so to be able to kind of have this, you know, book in front of me that has all their work in it and it celebrates it and to know that it's traveling you know around the country people are celebrating it um just you know almost like a proud you know parent <laughs> you feel you mm-hmm. know when you see it and you really hold it in your hands and then you get to hear you know feedback about it as well I mean that's just been I, a, a beautiful feeling I know that you had a
1: for lack of better word, it's not a premiere but you had a you got the launch where you it, yeah, launched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Launched, that's right. Yes, uh-huh. yes. how was that? What was
2: That, that was like? amazing. It was amazing. It was uh it was sold out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we, they literally I felt bad I learned afterwards they had to actually turn away some people. That's how many people showed up. Wow. Um, uh uh-huh. yeah, it was at the Leslie Loman Gay and Lesbian Museum um here in New York in Soho, which is a beautiful beautiful space, you know. I couldn't think of a more beautiful space to kind of celebrate this uh collection. And uh, we had so many. we had a wonderful uh turnout, as, as well as a number of the contributors who read as well, was pretty fantastic. Um, and it was, you know, that also was intergenerational, the, the writers who were able to read for us. And we're planning on having uh, more of those readings, uh, you know, throughout the year, cause there's so many contributors that we want to be able to have more celebrations um, where we invite other contributors as well. But that was just an, an, an amazing event. And the books that we had on hand that night sold out, which we had wow. more there. But, you know, you never know how it's going to do with those kind of events. But... It was just tre- tremendous and such positive uh, energy and uh, really it felt like it was a revolution you know to kind of hear those powerful words hear the the writers who you know who shared their stories
1: well I know that for you know because I had interviewed Julie about it and I had talked about it and in fact put it up in, in our local paper and I have had women here who first of all that was their first introduction to sinister wisdom and afterwards, they were like, wow, particularly, I mean, all kinds of lesbians, right? but the black lesbians were like, you know, they felt it. Like they yes. found, a, there was a poem to several that was like, they're speaking to them. Yes. And so so I can imagine, you know, I'm wondering, you know, what kind of feedback you have gotten from, from all over. What was the most surprising? I guess the furthest place or the most surprising input you got from somebody who said, hey, I read this
2: and wow. Right. Um, I think Julie shared with someone, I forgot what country they were in, but it was like another country, you know. Mm. And they, mm-hmm. um, and this is someone she said who would, I guess, you know, was a longtime subscriber, but they told her how, um, how much it moved them, you know, to see that particular you know, issue. Uh, and so that was sort of wonderful to see someone, you know, writing from a, you know, from another country, sort of giving this kind of, you know, feedback. Um, especially someone, I guess, who had seen prior journals as well. Um, so that mm-hmm. that was something that definitely, you know, moved me. Um, and also some people who were new to it, who hadn't seen it before, and who were really um, uh, taken aback or really moved by, you know, what was between the pages. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I know. I mean, because and I, you know, and I think as a black lesbian, to me, this one. You know, and I've, I've known, followed Sinister Wisdom for years, you know, yes. but this one was mine. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I, I looked yes. and said, this is mine, my, my channel. Right. I mean, oh. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's what I was hoping that folks would feel, you know what I'm saying? That was definitely sort of the goal, you know, and um, being able to, to work on this, to have someone, you know, who uh, to open it up and say, this is mine, or this is, yeah, you know, this is written for me, or this is telling my story, or I see myself, like you mm-hmm. said, and in this essay, or I see myself in this poem, or I see myself in this photo, right? You know, absolutely, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. that's what we're looking for, right? Reflections of ourselves when we're, mm-hmm. when we're reading some some documents.
1: Because I know many of my other uh, issues of sinister wisdom. When I finish, like I'll take them to our LGBT center. This one yes. I kept, and it's on my my coffee table. You know, <laughs> Is
2: it's it? like okay. no, <laughs> no. If
1: you want, you guys want this one. You have to get <laughs> your you own.
2: Know, you right, have you have to get
1: someone, your own. This one is, That's oh, this one is mine. <laughs> right. You're like, I'm
2: keeping this one. I'm going to keep this one. Uh-huh, you know, it,
1: it sort of, but it wasn't. just, like, really, really spoke yes. to me. Um, And and sometimes we need to see that. I mean, it's very empowering because, well, I mean, we know that, I mean, from Pat Parker to Audre Lorde, I mean, to Andrea Jenkins, we have these fierce black poets who are out there. And yes. this sort of says, It's like, you know, if you were out there and you were like, Oh, I'm scribbling on a little piece. I don't know if it matters. This gives gives
2: power to you. Yes, absolutely. It's like, yes, you matter. Yes. Your voice matters. Yes. Yes. You know, this particular issue is celebrating you, you know, whether you be a poet or whether you be someone who's writing essays or, you know, whatever it is you're writing, but yes, it celebrates Mm -hmm. you. Absolutely. I think that's important, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. to be able to see that reflection of ourselves Um, Mm -hmm. on the page. Right. That's,
1: mm-hmm
2: it's, it's like a gift that we deserve. We deserve that. We deserve to be celebrated.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So, uh, so do you think that you would do a, a second Black Lesbians We Are Revolution? Two? Would you edit a second one? Because I'm sure that you turned away a lot of people who like you and like, you know, if I just had a few more pages, you know, right. I would like to yes. them.
2: Would you consider doing that again? Um, yes, if, I, if there was ever the opportunity, I would absolutely consider doing it again. You know, so it is time consuming, so you definitely have to make sure you make time for it. Mm-hmm, um, but in mm-hmm. the long run, it was definitely you know worth all the you know energy um, and time that went into it. hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, I, I, I say, kudos to uh, you both. It, it, it is beautiful. It really is thank a beautiful you. book.
2: It was wonderful working with Amber. You know, it was just a really, you know, uh, positive experience for for both of us to be able to kind of learn about different styles and you know things that resonated with each of us. Um, and so I was definitely grateful that she took on that challenge with me.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're going to take our second break here on Collections by okay. Michelle Brown. Um, we're talking with J.P. Howard, and we, if you haven't picked up, uh, didn't get a chance to get a copy, you should go online and get Sinister Wisdoms. Uh, volume 107, Black Lesbians, We Are the Revolution. And we'll be right back.
0: Collections by Michelle Brown
1: Back with J.P. Howard. Now I know you've done some other things besides um, your book, *Same mirror. But you also did—I um, was reading. What are some other things that you have have published And I know that I was trying to bury your love poems here. Here, poems? right? That's
2: a chap. That's right. It's a chaplet from Belladonna, um, which mm-hmm. is a publisher, and uh, it's a chaplet. is like a small chapbook, you know. And that was a beautiful, a lovely opportunity to be able to, um, publish a small collection of my poems. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, by this press that I definitely admire, you know, it's a, very much, a you know, a feminist, um, women, I would say women centered, uh, you know, f- small press. Um, and so that was a great opportunity to be able to, to have that. And then they had a reading that was surrounding that surrounded that particular chaplet. Um, and mm-hmm. so it's something that, that, you know, I'm proud of. I'm currently, I'm working on some other manuscripts, um, poetry, and I did have a, I had an essay published in uh, actually one of the most difficult pieces I wrote for Apogee Journal. Um, I had an essay called uh, Goodbye Mama. And that was actually the mm. first time I actually wrote about my mom after she passed away in, in, in a you know, piece of significance because that was an actual essay, nonfiction. Um, and that hopefully will be part of a, a longer memoir that, you know, mm. that I'm slowly working on. <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Do you, have you found, and I mean, because my, my mother – had an influence in my life and in my community. Many of my friends knew her. Was your mother involved, was impactful, like with many of your friends? Did they know her? Did she yes. ever come to the salon?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't get to come to the salon because by the time I started mm-hmm. salon, you know, she was, you know, uh, you know already much older and not able to travel as much. But mm-hmm. in terms of definitely growing up, you know, she was very close to a lot of my friends. She was like that mother that people could come to and could tell anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Like she, was never, she was never judgmental. You know, I would have friends whose mothers would be judgmental, you know, about whatever it is they were dealing with, you know. Um, but she was the, the mom who you could pretty much tell anything. And so I think a lot of my friends growing up her almost like a, a second, you know, parent because of that. She was very influential in my schooling. She was, they called her the school mascot uh, when I was mm. in high school. Um, when I was in high school, I was pre-law. And she would show up to all of our – we. I was in mock, moot court. She would literally show up to, like, every moot court that we had. And they would almost be like, if she didn't show up, where is she? You know, where's your mom, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So in that sense, always a very big positive influence, you know, such a big supporter mm-hmm. of, of whatever I was doing, whether it was poetry, whether it was, you know, law, um, no matter what it was. I mean, she's definitely the person I, w- I would say was responsible for my sort of confidence because she always – I always remember a line she told me when I was young. She's like, don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't do anything, not even me. Mm. She said, because sometimes there will be a point where a parent will say, you know, not meaning to. Oh, no, I don't think you can do that. She's like, if I ever say that to you, ignore it because you can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that really, mm-hmm. I, meant that that was a, I thought, a strong statement for a parent to say. But it really is something that I think I try to carry with me, and it definitely inspired me and definitely, you know, sort of gave me that confidence to think that I really could accomplish, you know, some of the things that I have accomplished that I might have questioned but of course she said that, you know, I always hear that little voice. I remember what your mom said, you know, you can do that. <laughs> Even mm-hmm, if it's hard, you can, mm-hmm. you can do it. Just, you know, give it your mm-hmm. best shot. So mm-hmm. yeah, those, those things are, I would say a gift that, you know, a great legacy that she's given me. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I know that you said you were both Leos. Do you, do you see yourself yes. in some ways exhibiting and, you know, and, and it's funny how when you're young, you know, you don't want to be your mother, but then right. later on, you sort of
2: see it. Yeah. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's true. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we joke with our friends, you know, you're turning into your mother. But yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I have that Leo, you know, part about me. I definitely <laughs> like the, I like the, the attention, of course, which you can get from so when you're doing your readings and you're out there being very public, you know. And, uh, you know, I can see the parts of her that enjoy that. You know, I mean, hers is different, of course. Hers was on a stage modeling, right? Um, So Mm -hmm. mine might be, you know, on a stage uh, reciting poetry, but absolutely, I do see see the similarities. The older I get, and uh, I'm okay Mm -hmm. with it. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. when I was younger, I probably Mm -hmm. would be like, "No way, you can't tell me I'm going to be like that." But now I can can definitely see the, I can see those traits Uh that are very similar to hers. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. it's true. It's funny, but it's true, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to, but then as you do, and you, you sort of, you sort of see it, and you go like. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right, uh, exactly. Uh, you know, can you I know that in your book you explained it, but for those who haven't read the book and I I really encourage you um to go out and get it. You know, it's one of those books I love I have always loved books. My mother loved books. I love your book because it fit nicely in my purse so I had it. You know. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Thank
2: you. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, say mirror you want to explain the title oh absolutely Um, I think it had sort of a you know multiple meanings for me Mm -hmm. um, because first my mom was a model right And so there Mm -hmm. was a sense of this you know idea of beauty this ideal of beauty looking in the mirror you know her looking in Mm -hmm. the mirror Um, and then there was also the mirror as something that I'm looking in my own mirror right I'm discovering myself and through Mm -hmm. this book I'm sort of discovering myself so a mirror as a point of a self-reflection of, of learning about yourself, you know. So a literal mirror because she was a model and definitely we, in our apartment she was surrounded with photos of herself and the photos of me, right? I mean, mm-hmm. then of course, were, you know, there were mirrors. Um, and just like I said, a mirror as a sense of reflecting, reflecting on our lives. Um, maybe not literally in a mirror, but just, you know, a mirror as a way to, to, to self-reflect And to think about, you know, how we've gotten to whatever point we are, you know, in life. Uh, And say, say mirrors, literally sort of finding my voice, right? Me finding, Mm -hmm. me finding my voice as I'm exploring this, you know, sort of mother-daughter relationship and taking ownership, you know, for that voice. So like I said, it has a sort of competing, um, competing uh, definitions that influenced it. Mm
1: hmm Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the pictures, I mean, it's such a... But other things about it, like the fact that you had these great pictures, I mean, you know, like I said, uh, sometimes we forget, you know, about our, that's the history part, we forget about our history and about that era and where we've been. And to have had all these, these great pictures of your mother and how you brought them into the book. How 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 did you and I love the one of you and your mother, you know. Yes, I don't know yes, where, right. I mean I mean and, that, and, right. and you can sort of see she's got that she's got that stance where you knew, yes. you know, like, I am here right. and you That's know, right. you're sitting there beside her. <laughs> I mean right. how great is it that you have these pictures of her, you know, and to and to chronicle that history of her life
2: absolutely i mean i really feel like it's a gift it's a blessing you know all those words would apply to it you know Mm -hmm. probably not realizing when i first got them you know i had all these pictures Mm -hmm. um and even now i'm still finding i have so many more the the book just has a very small small percentage of the actual the actual collection that i do have and um Mm -hmm. it's you know like i said it's a gift it's something that um i i'm planning on making into a larger project Um, Mm -hmm. probably a multimedia project so that um some way to probably put the uh photos on video so that they'll maybe maybe they'll be streaming and then in the words you'll hear the poetry in the back behind it Mm, and then mm -hmm. also for a longer probably biography slash you know memoir type uh piece that might end up being non non poetry as well but there's so Mm -hmm. many pictures it's so much that i have to you know sort of catalog um and decide how to use them but it's a gift even now i still find because i have i have some boxes of hers with more photos that i still have to go through and, and look through um but it's, it's definitely a gift and a, and a blessing, and it's um, just wonderful to be able to have them. And I'm so grateful to uh, my editor, The Operating System, um, Linda Silva um, Johnson, who was the uh, editor, that I was able to be able to include some of those, you know, photos. That was really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. know if I was going to have that opportunity, you know, because many times in poetry books you, know, you may not have that opportunity, you know, but I'm glad that I did have the opportunity. And she, you know, she was able to let me put some of the ones that I wanted to include because mm-hmm. it sort of, yeah. you know, lets you see the story, you know, of the diva, mm-hmm. the grand diva. <laughs>
1: mhm. You know, when, when you were talking about her comment, you know, when you said that uh, about how she, and she looked and she said, damn, I looked good. I was yes. telling someone that, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like when you talk about it, there are things that you can recognize. And I was telling someone how my mother loved to dance. And
0: mm-hmm. once
1: later in her life, I had gone out and found her and her sister, her older sister. I had found, uh, a copy of Jackie Wilson, and there was a song that they danced wow. to, and I remember, and there they were sitting, you know, and they were sitting, right. there, you know, like my mother's like, why are you playing that? And this song came on, <laughs> and the two of them got up, and it was something like move it to the left and move it to the right, and I right. just, like, and, and it was just like I just like fell out to see that light like you know, like, yeah, you know, we did that. And when you, right. you had that, that, that line in your mother like, yeah, I look good. Say, yes, you know, right. like,
2: yes, ma'am, you did. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes, ma'am, you did. You're telling the truth. That's right. You're mm-hmm. not lying. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it was great to have her say that, you know, to have some kind of embrace mm-hmm. that, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> Definitely. Well,
1: well, it looks like, you know, in some ways from that, that, little girl who didn't really want to be a model, but enjoyed doing the poetry and found your voice. Yes, you have come full circle to where you're living your truth. You know, you're doing it, you are supporting and encouraging others through the salon. You're and even through, you know, the sinister wisdom. Looking forward, what's next for JP Howard?
2: Uh, looking forward to editing uh the manuscripts that i have in progress now i have Mm -hmm. one full length poetry manuscript and i have one chapbook length manuscript they're you know Mm -hmm. closer to finishing than uh, the memoir project which is separate you know so that's Mm -hmm. something i'm definitely looking forward to working on um within the next i would say you know six months the goal is to get them into the hands of um some publishers that have expressed an interest and hoping to you know bring them those will be my hopefully new babies, my new literary babies, you know, mm-hmm. in the not-so-distant future. But that's really the thing that that's most, I'm most excited about working on and making some time. Like I said, for me earlier, that's the thing, the time management. But I'm going to commit to making time for myself to uh, bring those manuscripts to fruition and bring them into the mm-hmm. world. So I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And continuing to collaborate, you know, I'm always, uh, I think, a big part of what I'm planning on doing, and lots of people have reached out to me is collaborating with other Um, literary organizations that are supporting community so that's something that I'm looking forward to doing probably in in 2018 and forward to find other communities and see how we can collaborate and um, you know maybe even grow larger by doing that by bringing different community communities together
1: have you ever like um been approached by people like in other cities who are interested in developing a salon similar to women writers in bloom poetry salon
2: absolutely i have been that's been beautiful i've actually had the salon in a few other cities i had one in seattle mm-hmm. i've had one in california and the last four to five years i've been on panels talking about the salon as a model at um, awp the association of writers ah. and writing programs um, and mm-hmm. so at those at those those you know national conferences i've had a chance there to get outreach from people who want to start so that's something i'm always open to um, whether it's in person or people can email me for advice on that. You know, I'm definitely about mm-hmm. sharing um, the information. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and I always get excited to hear about people who are trying to start a salon-type environment. You know, I just tell them, just if you have a dream, just start start small. I always tell them about my first salon, which is like four or five people, you know, and mm-hmm. um, how that, you know, if you're passionate about it, even if it, it could stay four or five people, that's absolutely fine, you know what I mean? But just if you can find that community and keep that community going, you're, you're serving a purpose. It right? doesn't, doesn't have to be something that's sold out. That's not even relevant. It's more so that you mm-hmm. have a community of writers who are coming together to support each other. So it's mm-hmm. been great to be able to talk to people about who had that vision and, and show them ways to uh, make it accessible. And for me, of course, it's making it open to you know, LGBT marginalized communities. So I always talk about mm-hmm. how to do outreach to those communities. So that's, that's really what's important to me. Mm-hmm.
1: So if someone wants to contact you, from Chicago or wherever, about either learning about doing a salon or having you come in and talk about poetry. What's the best way to reach you?
2: Um, the best way to reach me, I would say, to go to my website, which is it's jp-howard.com, and there's actually uh, on there a form you can you know contact me directly. But it's uh, jp-howard.com. People can also email me directly, jph.dot poet at
1: gmail.com.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And uh, the salon, if people want to, I know you said there's a Facebook page, that talks about the salon. Yes.
2: The name of the page is Women Writers in Bloom Poetry Salon. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably the best uh, way to find me, or they can also do the email to the salon directly, which is womenwritersbloom at gmail.com mm-hmm. if they want to be added to a list. But there is a way to join that list if they're on Facebook. But people can email me directly if they're not on Facebook.
1: Do the salons occur the same, like, is it like the third Saturday? I mean, do they occur the same time each month?
2: No. <laughs> it's a different time each month. So it's, it's a Saturday or a Sunday. It basically is whenever I can find a space and I can find a, you know, writer. I really try to accommodate the writers because a lot of them are traveling from, you know, across the country or wherever, you know. Or you know, they have their own commitments, so it's, it's a Saturday or Sunday, that's about all, but other than that, I try to give people a few weeks' notice, so if they sign up oh, so. to get mm-hmm. the emails, they'll they'll get the email a few weeks in advance.
1: Okay, okay, so that's it email list
2: and um
1: if it's a poet from an uh who is going to be in town at a certain month and they're interested in being a part of the salon, you know to being your feature, they would contact you through that also.
2: Right, they would contact me. That would probably, they would want to do at least six to eight months in advance because, you know, they do six my schedule. Yeah, but they can contact me mm-hmm. sooner, and we'll, we'll see. But definitely, mm-hmm. I, I encourage them to contact me through the um, Women Writers Bloom at Gmail email.
1: Okay, that's great. Yeah, well, that's a great way J- to.
2: Uh-huh. well,
1: JP, I mean, I think that I, I have really enjoyed talking to you, um, I've enjoyed reading your work. I want and looking at the pictures of your mother, like I said, it took me down memory lane in my own way. And I think (laughs) that that, that's one of the beauties, again, of poetry and of what, what as poets, what we do is like, when you put those words out there, that it can touch someone who you may not even meet, you know, but it can touch them and take them to that special place. And I want to tell you your book, did that for me in so many ways. And I thank you for that gift. Because you know, Uh, it was about a time when I, I you know, I really needed to go to that place. And I thank you for that gift. Sinister wisdom. I mean, those different voices. I know it's a lot of work. I appreciate what you've done for that. And to give us black lesbians, our journal where we can pick this up and show
2: people like, hey,
1: Right. all of
2: it this. <laughs> this yes. is all of it
1: this? This that's,
2: that's right this is us. This. that's right take a look take a look this is us. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you so much for all your words of support I've, I really love the conversation so many different topics we explored um, I'm definitely humbled and appreciate the opportunity to, to talk talk with you
1: well you know when one day when I get to New York I'm going to call you we'll have coffee or something that sounds fantastic <laughs> uh, okay well again thank you so much for being with me today
2: all right. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye.
1: Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Collections by Michelle Brown. I again want to thank my special guest today, J.P. Howard. She is the author of Say Mirror Poems and History, and also the editor of one of the editors of Sinister Wisdom. Black Lesbians, We Are the the Revolution, Volume 107. I hope you'll join me next week when I will introduce you to another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. I hope that you will take a moment to go to the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page, like it, and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. I look forward to sharing another story with you next week. I want to thank you again for listening, and have a great day.